0: Well, good morning, friends. Good morning. Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. Uh, yeah, as Dean alluded to, I have been able to, to be here to, to share God's word with you in the past. I remember once we talked about uh, one verse in the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we did two weeks on Ruth one time. And then I think the last time that I was here, we got to talk about sexual immorality. So there we go. It's the... <laughs> the trifecta of, of of things um uh yes uh with pastor peter being up in in uh, o'neill this morning he asked me if i would come in and in his stead and share god's word with you today and i was even we were talking dean and i were talking about before like who drove further did i drive further from norfolk to get here or did peter drive further to from here to o'neill so we figured it's probably about the same so we'll just call it a tie, just a time that's a time Um, Yeah, so I'm I'm glad to be here. Uh, We're going to look at the book uh, of 1 Corinthians. I know that's something that you guys are going through. We're going to look at one specific section. So if you want to open your Bibles, uh, if you have them handy, uh, the the text will be on the screen if that's something that you would like to follow along with. Um, But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verses 20 through 25. It says this. It says, Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking. It says this. Is there a power button? There is a power button. And now it's on. There we go. All right. They said, you're good at technology. They were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of, un- of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in tongues, then, is intended as a sign not for believers but for unbelievers while prophecy is not a sign for un- is not for unbelievers but for believers if therefore the whole church assembles together and are all speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in will they not say that you're out of your minds but if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in he is convicted by all and is called to account by all the secrets of his heart will be revealed, and the re- as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. Let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful. Uh, first of all, we're grateful that we can gather. We have the freedom to gather in a place. We have a fr- the freedom to, to sing songs that praise you, that honor you, uh, that glorify you. Um, and we have the chance to hear your word and and, and look at it intently. Lord, I pray this morning, as you have put on my heart what what it is that you want to have shared, uh, that it would be communicated clearly, succinctly, uh, that it would make sense uh, not to bring honor to me, God, please, um, but that it would point others to you. We praise you. We glorify your holy name. Amen. So in March, uh, I know that uh, Peter taught about the prophet or prophecy. A couple weeks ago, uh, he spoke about speaking in tongues. Um, and I got to say, man, what, what a blessed congregation that you are uh, to have a pastor, to have a shepherd who is willing to not just gloss over some of the harder, more difficult topics, but who's willing to take them on And speak truth to you. Uh, I I hope to springboard off of what Peter has already shared with you in those sermons. uh, And I want to talk today about how the signs of tongues and prophecy point people to the gospel. But first, has anyone here ever been to Disney World or Disneyland? Okay, so good. There's lots of people. Uh, I'm, this isn't a, a, a type of endorsement or criticism of the happiest place on earth, but I, I just wonder what was your experience? I've been there twice in my lifetime. Once when I was about uh, 14 or 15 years old, and then about 12 or 13 years ago, or 12 or 13 years ago, Melanie and I were able to go. If you've been there, there's probably one of two entirely different experiences that you might have had. The first being that of a child, seeing all the things, seeing your favorite characters, the magic of fireworks, immersive rides, mouse-shaped foods, properly trademarked merchandise, meeting a real princess, booing the villains, spinning incessantly in teacups, mountains from space, Caribbean located pirates, a tow truck that talks like a hillbilly, all centered around a real life castle that you can spend the night in. I mean, who would ever want to leave, right? Now, the perspective of the adult. A ticket that starts at $109 a day per person to see all the things that you have no chance of seeing. Having a child in meltdown because they didn't get to see their favorite character. Being totally exhausted by the time the fireworks go off at the end of an extremely long day. Rides that you have to wait two hours for just to get three minutes of entertainment. $20 for a popsicle that looks like something that you could probably get at Dairy Queen for $3. The Star Wars button-down shirt that's $72 but goes perfectly with the $40 R2-D2 themed mouse ears and the $800 replica lightsaber. Um, This also happens to be my Christmas list, Melanie, just so you know. Standing in yet another line for two hours to have five minutes with Aurora when she really wanted to to meet Elsa. Kids throwing up after mistakenly spinning in teacups just mere minutes after eating that mouse head popsicle. Not getting close to the only mountainous space adventure ride in the park that you wanted to go on. Instead hearing robot chicken from a, a robot children from around the world singing about how small it is over and over and over and over, and over in many different languages but to the same exact tune <sighs> seeing captain jack sparrow as a animatronic figure okay that's a highlight we would we would like that but you only get to catch the tail end of the pixar parade And plopping down, are you ready for this? $2,600 a night to stay in Cinderella's castle. You get the idea. Kids see all the shiny things with innocent eyes. They're taken in with the excitement. They watch the show without asking what it's all about. They don't see the puppet strings. They get caught up in the noise and entertainment rather than the worth and the substance. On the flip side of the kid coin, they're not easily offended, and typically they don't hold grudges. They tend to forgive and see the best in others. I think that's what Paul, the apostle Paul, is getting at in this passage to the Corinthians. We see in verse 20 that Paul calls the church not to be childish in a way of following what is flashy but to resist evil as innocent children so often do. In my study, I I go to one of my main sources, which uh, many of you are probably familiar with, and that's the Matthew Henry Commentary. And I love what he says about this passage, especially the last line. He says this, he says, Christians should be harmless and inoffensive as children, void of all guile and malice but should have wisdom and knowledge that are ripe and mature. They should not be unskillful in the word of righteousness, though they should be unskillful in the arts of mischief. The church in Corinth was skillful in the arts of mischief. They were on the struggle bus to say the least. After living there for 18 months and assisting the church to grow in a culture that valued status and fame, more than putting others first paul then moved on to where god had called him to next shortly thereafter he received word back from corinth about a word of division that was happening sexual immorality disputes over food preferences over the gathering and disbelief in the resurrection of jesus so he penned this letter and had it delivered by timothy To the Corinth church. Now, I know, again, you've been working your way through 1 Corinthians, so I'm not going to rehash all of what has been said, but I do want to focus on how chapter 14, verses 20 through 25, he expertly brings some of these ideas back to the gospel of Jesus Christ to remind them of the reason for Jesus' sacrifice and also to remind us. If you are taking notes today, I'll ask that you write this down. Paul reminds us that God's word, not our words, bring change. The verse that Paul is referring to in verse 21 is found in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 1 11 and 12. When scripture is quoting other scripture, it's best to see what the context of that original scripture is. You also need to look at all scripture, wherever it's at, as to who it was originally written to. Contrary to popular belief, the Bible was not written to you or me. It was written to a specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose. It's not a story about us. It's the story about God and his plan to redeem his creation to himself. Now, we can absolutely learn from it, from the stories, the letters, the teachings, and apply those truths to our lives. But it is God's word. It's infallible. It cuts between the bone and the marrow, and it has withstood the test of time. It's God's word, not our words, that bring change. So looking back at this passage in Isaiah, We see that the prophet Isaiah is speaking words of warning to the children of Israel. I'm going to go back a little bit from uh, 11 and 12. I'm going to go back to verse 9 as we read it. Isaiah 28, 9 through 12 says this. It says, who is he trying to teach? Who is he trying to instruct? Infants just weaned from milk, babies removed from the breast. Law after law, law after law, line after line, line after line a little here, a little there. Verse 11, For he will speak to this people with stammering speech and in a foreign language. He had said to them, This is the place of rest. Let the weary rest. This is the place of response. But they would not listen. Paul, who was an expert In the Old Testament, even before his conversion in Acts chapter 9, he's recounting and informing the Corinthians that the use of tongues, now this not specifically just the gift of tongues, but also other languages, foreign languages, that this would be a sign to Israel of coming judgment. Isaiah is informing the children of Israel that they were about to be taken into captivity by the Assyrians, And hearing the foreign language would indicate this sign to them, that it was about to happen. So too, Paul is saying that the use of foreign language would indicate judgment to an unbeliever. And also, in this case, in Corinth, the foreign language is the vocabulary of the believer that unbelievers may not understand or even comprehend. Uh, We have a running joke in our house Uh, of colloquialisms that are either regional or just foreign to one another. I remember one time we were on our way down to the outlet mall in Gretna, Nebraska and and Melanie referred to it as a suitcase town. A what? A suitcase town? It's a term I had never heard before in my entire life. Everybody here know what a suitcase town is? Yeah? Okay. See? Nebraska versus Pennsylvania. I guess that's just what happens. So uh, so I had no idea that I meant a town where people lived outside of a major metropolitan city. In this case, they lived in Gretna, and they worked in Omaha. Um, you know, in where I grew up in Pennsylvania, we just, we just called them the suburbs, I guess. Uh, but so, so when she dropped this term on me, I had zero understanding of what she meant. Uh, there was another time where I was describing uh, two situations that were similar to each other, and I said, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. And the look on Melanie's face was as if I had just spoken Icelandic to her. <laughs> Terms like that just weren't common in her house growing up. Uh, and she's also quite literal in her thinking and communication. So using a metaphor like that was not helpful. Another time I said something about not looking a gift horse in the mouth, and she wondered if we were receiving a horse as a present. So, Yeah. <laughs> I've learned. I've learned. Be literal. Language is important in communication. We often have terms or colloquialisms, phrases, even words that are specific to our jobs, the places we live, our families, or our faith. Especially in the Christian faith, there are terms that are not used in any other setting. Some might call it Christianese. I mean, if you can fit christophany or immutability into the next conversation whenever you're watching the next husker game more power to you that'd be impressive i'd like to be there for that we cannot and should not expect those who are not believers in christ to act like or understand the truth of god's word and sometimes let's just be honest sometimes we convolute those conversations with big terms They make us seem smart or uber-religious. But instead, they just muddy the essentials of the gospel. I think that's what verse 23 is alluding to. Let's get them to know Jesus first. Then, through discipleship, teach them and help them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. But, you know, even the basics of God loves you, sin separates you. Jesus rescues you. Sounds foreign to those who have not heard and is a warning of judgment. John 14, 6 reminds us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. In our current culture that is rampant with my truth language and egocentric ideology, it seems completely out of this world to lay down one's life, to take up our cross and to follow him. So I think Paul is using the term tongues in verse 22 as an example to the church in Corinth and to remind them that it's a call to the unbeliever that today is the day of salvation. Judgment is at hand. Tongues, or speaking God's word to those who don't know it, brings unbelievers the gospel now that's as far as we can take it matthew 28 tells us to go teach and make disciples but the work of the father sending his son jesus giving up his life dying on the cross and being raised to life and the conviction of the holy spirit on our hearts that's what brings salvation again our part is just to take the word Romans 10, verses 14 through 15 and verse 17 says this. It says, how then can they on him, how can they call on him? How can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Verse 17 says, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Tongues brings unbelievers to the gospel. In the same way, prophecy reminds believers of the gospel. Before a time where the books of the law were written on parchment and scrolls, God spoke through the prophets to the nation of Israel and beyond. Men like Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Amos, Habakkuk, or is it Habakkuk? I don't know. Could be either way, I guess. Even Jonah was a prophet who never really got it. They heard directly from God and conveyed his message to his people. Now, they weren't soothsayers or wizards or fortune tellers delivering god's word still happens today fortunately we have the whole counsel of god's word right here in our hands in acts chapter 20 verses 25 through 27 paul says this he says and now i know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Paul even goes on to encourage others who are doing the same. We know them now as preachers, pastors, shepherds, overseers. He says this in verse 28 be on guard for yourselves and for the flock of which the holy spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the whole church of god which he purchased with his own blood the prophecy that reminds believers of the gospel was being delivered to the church in corinth by qualified men that day and age they they had the weight they knew the weight of communicating God's word with his church. It's the same weight that weighs on Pastor Pete's shoulders every Sunday morning, standing right here, delivering to you God's word and reminding you of the gospel. Pastors, teachers, evangelists, elders, overseers, all these terms are somewhat interchangeable. They are today's prophets. Again, not future tellers but those that have studied God's word with the intent to share it with believers to encourage to exhort to educate God's plan for our lives it's all all of it is in here so what is the gospel well is it more than just the first four books of the new testament absolutely it is it can be boiled down to four words. God, man, Christ, response. Greg Gilbert, who is the pastor at Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, he wrote this fantastic book explaining the good news of Jesus, and it's simply titled, What is the Gospel? I highly recommend it. Incidentally, Greg Gilbert will be the speaker at uh, our FCA leadership camp that will be at, uh, held at UNK down in Kearney later uh, this summer. So I'm excited to hear him actually speak in person. And I also want to ask him if, if there's a 1st Avenue Baptist and a 2nd Avenue Baptist, because there's a 3rd Avenue Baptist. Just want to see if there's one on every street. In Louisville, I would assume that there is, but you never know. So in the chapter titled Finding the Gospel in the Bible, he asks four. For, Crucial questions. First question he asks is, who made us and to whom are we accountable? God. Second question, what is our problem? In other words, are we in trouble and why? Man, sin. Third question, what is God's solution to the problem? How has he acted to save us from it? Christ. And the fourth question, how do I, myself, right here, right now, how do I come to be included in that salvation? What makes this good news for me and not just for someone else? Working with Fellowship of Christian Athletes has been awesome because as an organization, we are gospel-centric. It's the gospel above everything else. If we can't take the gospel into uh, schools, into lives of coaches into the lives of the athletes then there's no point in us doing anything and so uh, fca has partnered with uh, campus crusade which is now called crew to come up with this simple thing we call the four it's a tool that is used to help share the gospel Uh, we made bracelets that have those logos on there. Uh, we have t-shirts, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not selling them after, so don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> but just a, a good open door to be able to explain the gospel in a simple way. And these represent, these logos, they represent God, man, Christ, response, the breakdown of the gospel. We're going to look at them individually. First of all, the heart. The heart tells us that, that God made you and he loves you. His love is boundless, and it's unconditional. God is real, and he wants you to personally experience his love and discover his purpose for your life through a relationship with him. Genesis 1, 27 says, God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And, of course, John three sixteen, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The division sign indicates that you cannot experience God's love when you ignore him. Sin separates you. People search everywhere for meaning and for for fulfillment, but they don't search for that with God. They don't trust God and ignore his ways. The Bible calls this sin. Everyone has sinned. Sin damages your relationship with other people, and with God. It keeps you from experiencing the fulfilling life that God has intended for you. The result is that you are eternally separated from God and the life he has planned for you. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin does not stop God, from loving you. Because of God's great love, he became a human being in Jesus Christ and gave his life for you at the cross. Jesus rescues you. He took your place and paid the penalty of death so that that you deserve for your sins. Jesus died, but he rose again to new life. Jesus offers you peace with God and a personal relationship with him through faith in Jesus you can experience God's love every day, discover your purpose, and have eternal life after death. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For God also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.3-8 says this, For I passed on to you most important uh, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Then he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, last of all. As one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. And then in Romans 5.8 says this, but God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the question mark, the question mark, ask, question mark asks, will you trust Jesus? You can place your trust in Jesus by faith through prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God. God knows your heart and is not concerned with your words as much as he is with the attitude of your heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. You see the gospel and salvation, it's not a one time event in your life. It's not something you did. It's something that we need to be continually reminded of on a daily basis. I have right above my computer in my office in Norfolk a little note that says, remember the gospel today. I also have a picture of Melanie and I so I can remember her every day too as well. But, uh, and then Captain America over there. but you know. Uh, <laughs> but what this reminds me of when I look at it, what this reminds me of is that salvation comes in at least three forms. And we're going to look at those. The three forms are justification, sanctification, and glorification. This is why the gospel is for us today, no matter who you are. If you're a believer, then there was a time when you decided to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You might know the day, time, place, Or maybe you just know the the season in in your life when you took your faith in Jesus seriously. Or maybe, maybe you have yet to make that decision for your life. If that's the case, again, today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Just in the last two weeks in the Norfolk area, we've seen the tragic deaths of four young people. Two are believed to be suicides, which is just, man, it's a horrible, horrible thing that we see happening so much more of in our society. One, one of, uh, one of the young people that died was a senior who collapsed uh, during track practice, never woke up. Another, a senior girl who was killed in a farming accident. Both of these were days before they graduated from high school prayer is that they had the chance to know who Jesus was before these tragic deaths. So let me break these Christianese terms down for us this morning. When you make Jesus Lord, he imparts righteousness onto you. His substitution for you on the cross is what's called justification. You have been justified. And just what exactly does that mean? The way my dad used to put it whenever he would preach his sermons was just as if I'd never sinned. Your sins, the things that keep you from having a right relationship with God, have been erased from your ledger. Jesus has saved you from your sin's penalty. Sanctification is what's ha- what happening to you right now. The Holy Spirit living inside of you is leading, guiding, and directing also admonishing convicting and comforting your growth as a believer is just as important as your salvation being sanctified I love that you sang refiner's fire this morning I love that it's a great song but it's just another picture of what I'm about to say being sanctified is like drawing out the impurities in precious metals The slag, it rises to the top so that it can be taken out and cast away so you can have metal, gold, silver in its purest form. The Holy Spirit is using that refiner's fire and is saving you from sin's power. And finally, glorification. Uh, I listen to a podcast uh, weekly called Knowing Faith, and the hosts are... Uh, Kyle Worley, Jen Wilkin, and J.T. English, and they define glorification in this way, and I just love the nuance here. There's a time that is coming in the future where we will be gifted a resurrected body and we will be glorified, meaning that we will be free from even the ability to sin. We will be transformed from one degree of glory to the next, We increasingly become aligned with who Christ is. When we are glorified, we are finally and fully saved from sin's presence. Prophecy reminds the believers of the gospel. So I'd like to wrap up with a quote from Tim Mackey. If you're not familiar with who Tim is, he's part of the creative team behind the Bible Project Uh, If you haven't had an opportunity to view, uh, if you've heard of the the Bible Project, if you you haven't had an opportunity to view a book of the Bible explanation from them, uh, on YouTube, I highly recommend it. Uh, It's very visual, uh, very captivating. They do a really good job of explaining things. Um, And this is what Tim says at the end of the 1 Corinthians explanation. He says this, Hearts shaped by the gospel We'll long to see non-believers convicted of sin and brought to worship God. Likewise, when we know God's character, we will desire to honor him in our worship. It's easy to allow these signs of tongues and prophecy to be distracting, to be the focus, or to be the priority in worship. But my prayer is that we keep the main thing, the main thing, that we allow God's word to bring change, that we use our tongues to bring unbelievers to the gospel, that we allow prophecy to remind believers of the gospel daily. So my question to you, where are you today? Do you need to be brought to the gospel? Do you need to know who Jesus is? If so, today is the day of salvation. I would love to talk with you after church. I'm sure there's plenty of other people who would love to share the love of Jesus with you so that you can know. Are you a believer who just needs to be reminded of the gospel every day? Let's pray. Heavenly God, first and foremost, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Or we wouldn't even have a chance to be here if it wasn't for the sacrifice that he made on that cross. The fact that he shed his blood and took our penalty so that we can be in right relationship with you. God, allow that to be what drives us, what keeps us going every day, what gives us hope, what gives us encouragement when things get hard, when things get Drawn out when it's not shiny, when we're faced with the realities of, of what sin has done to our culture, to our lives. Allow us to focus, remember the gospel of Jesus, and allow it to permeate, allow it to, to build us up. Because God is your plan your plan from the beginning just to bring us back into that right relationship with you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you would convict hearts, that you would draw not just unbelievers, but you would continually draw believers to you as well. We praise you. We glorify your holy name. Amen. Well, if you'd like to stand with me for one more song, <clears throat> promise it's one you know.